inside? I think. They probably can't even hear it, can they? They probably can't hear it, but here we are at my humble abode in West Los Angeles. The Abe Cave. Do you really want to give away such a specific destination? I feel like people can hoe in on you now. Come find me, hackers. I'm in West LA. I feel like you're not superstitious enough. Superstitious at all? Really? Do you believe in curses? That was a question I no. actually wrote down. No, nor do I believe in no. ghosts. I do believe in Jesus. people's like the power of the mind controlling, like you know, your fear and stuff. But I don't believe in actual, you know, poltergeists. Or what about the idea that like human brain waves reach out and do and affect the material world if I they're concentrated? I'm enough? open to the idea of that being true. I mean, there's spookier stuff out there, but I have never witnessed. You know, I've I've seen how the you know power of positive thinking affects you, uh, in that you walk into any room and you're like, "Hey, I'm gonna win. I'm doing great," and that may uplift your chances. But I don't believe that it actually like attaches itself to. I was talking more of like scarabs launching into your skin and then burrowing into your face and then you run against the wall and your head gets crushed. Well, I, I believe what <laughs> I see, <laughs> you believe Michael, what you see, and I've seen that in 1999's The <gasps> Mummy. The Mummy! Mummy, 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 dun, 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 mummy! Curses! <laughs> that's right. Today's topic on frame rate, if that's indeed what this show's called. It is. Oh, okay is uh 1999's the mummy not 2017's the mummy Oof. well that would be more timely but we don't give a fuck about that because the mummy's better than the mummy not my mummy (laughs) is what i say have you seen the uh 1932 mummy yes i have is it as is the is the 1999 brendan fraser mummy the best mummy uh yeah i mean uh boris kills it he's terrifying the old mummy has some great stuff and it's in a lot of ways, 1999's is, you know, just taking what is best about that classic film and turning it into like an action adventure Indiana Jones romp. So in that way, they're two different films. One's like clear horror, and one is like let's have fun, make it a Walt Disney picture kind of, but at the same time give some scares along the way. So they're really, two different beasts. Really scary. I mean, at the time, yeah, terrifying. At the time. But, like, I, I don't know. I guess what I mean is it, it's even a minority of, like, comedies that hold up. But, like, I'll watch Safety Last or a particular Marx Brothers movies and uh-huh. be like, it blows me away that the jokes are still funny. But I don't think I've ever seen anything that someone thought was scary in the 30s that is scary. Well, I mean, life is so much more brutal when you're now. It to comedies in that, when you're like taking a Preston Sturges or like mm. a Duck Soup, yeah, because the comedy's good because it's you know well thought out, well written. Right. But remember the the uh, the zeitgeist, the group of people who are witnessing films at the time in the 30s. This is just two decades before, if if even that, where people are terrified about getting run over by a train. Because it's coming at them on the silver screen, and they're like, "Yeah, uh, yeah." <laughs> Personally, I would have been more scared of the very first film of the dude sneezing. I don't want that shit on me—a <laughs> giant head sneezing into the theater. <coughs> no good. Yeah, uh, but I would say that 1999 is my favorite mummy. Well, I've only seen that one, so I agree. So let's talk mummy. Oh man, <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's a big one. Well, when we knew we would do this show in the first batch, because it's one of your favorite films of all time, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's, I think you need to at least take some time out to defend that. Why the fuck? How can you, a USC graduate, 
uh, think that the... By the way, did anyone else at USC ever agree with you? Oh, yeah. About the mummy? Oh, yeah. All right. I have a few Rosicrucian Do you like, know what? fellows. Did Kugler ever weigh in on the mummy? No, I don't think I ever okay. talked to Ryan about <laughs> that. And if you guys don't know Ryan Kugler, I went to school with he's he did a uh, Fruitvale Station and Creed, and he's doing the upcoming Black Panther. Black Panther looks yeah, awesome. Yeah, and he's a real cool guy. But I never really got one on one time, other than him here or there. He actually he worked, worked on the Agents of Crack. Yeah, set up as for a, a s- uh, second one or two shoots. Yeah. yeah, second assistant camera, <laughs> and he was happy because he had. We had jelly beans in the office, and he just kept eating jelly beans. And at one point, he had to do the slate where you're supposed to say, like, mm-hmm. you know, scene two, you know, take one, clack. And he couldn't say it because his mouth was full of jelly Too beans. Too full of jelly beans. <laughs> you heard it here. The scandal that rocks Hollywood. Ryan Coogler loves jelly beans. Yeah. I, I would call it a harmful addiction at this point. And we pray for him, and we hope that he gets out <laughs> get, of it. Get ready for those think pieces. <laughs> but in the meantime... <laughs> What's so great about the mummy, Abe? Not that I disagree, but I'm going to oh, play Imhotep's I like advocate. To, I don't know. I like to. Well, here's the thing: is there's a little bit of backstory with me and the mummy. I'll sure. just say, which is um, <laughs> every five years or so, it's, Egypt, it, 1989. It, it really hasn't happened for like the last eight years. But there was this like during film school and a few times where uh, usually during my birthday. Uh, one of my friends, John Conway, who I was living with at the time, and a friend, uh, Matt Bars, would mm. put on The Mummy after I had been, like, you know, fairly sauced at my own birthday party. <laughs> and I would, like, almost cry. I'd be like, you guys don't understand The Mummy. It's just so good. Like, I would talk through the whole thing, and people would, like... I remember Dan O'Brien said, if I ever had fuck you money, I would just rent a, a theater and just get you hammered and just talk about the mummy and that's the performance piece because i really legit love the mummy there's nothing about everything even the campiness and all the you know all i love it for its warts and its sores okay it's just cause so we'll get good. to that because that's yeah. what i also want to talk about it's a perfect family adventure film some of the shit is hella dated oh yeah like super 1999 but i did think the thought occurred to me this time which really blew me away and i didn't think about before i rewatched it for this episode which is it nails most aspects of the big family four quadrant action comedy that Marvel currently owns. That is the dominant form of film now. And I was looking at the year, other movies, other like notable effects driven movies that year uh, include like being John Malkovich, Magnolia and Toy Story 2, which are all great movies, but I not that niche like the mummy is, the effects are dated, obviously, and some of the jokes, I think, are like problematic just because of the datedness. But doesn't it... It's like crazy how it feels like Thor 3 could basically feel exactly like The Mummy. Or even... Uh, it reminded me even more of um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Like the way you feel when you're watching it. But the, we're talking 1999. It's just crazy that it nailed all the... And yet, and yet, it didn't keep Brendan Fraser famous forever, which is the great tragedy of it's, the moment. It's really a tragedy because he's <laughs> he's perhaps one of the best family action heroes of all time. And I love Indy, and Harrison Ford is perfect as Indy, but Brendan is also perfect as Ryan O'Connell, and is like an Rick equally good Indy. Rick O'Connell, sorry, <laughs> but like he's, I would. Put him toe to toe with Harrison Ford in his heyday. Yeah, you no no one will agree with me because he didn't have the track record of films to warrant it. But he could have. He could have pulled it off. He could have pulled it off. Um, I want to speak to what you just said because I thought it was interesting when uh, Guardians of the Galaxy came out. There was a bunch 
of internet, you know, like Slate and I don't know, other sites that probably don't exist anymore, Insider and even Deadline, talking about how like, oh, it, suddenly we came out of we came out of this uh, Christopher Nolan fog where everything was gritty and immersed in this particular realism and we forgot for a decade that films could just be fun and like just enjoyable as kind of pulp popcorn films which is what the mummy is and it, i always thought it was interesting cuz i was like why did we i don't think we ever lost that indiana jones is still beloved star wars is still beloved there's times to you can both at one time look throw everything at the wall and let stick what sticks, which I'm looking at like Lego movie for, cause they just throw every joke out there. Right. No, they had perfected in the indie period and the B serial period, even like the flash Gordon stuff, they had perfected. Here's where all the plot points happen. Here's where the scary beat happens. But then this is the perfect time to just stop and have that joke. And like, for example, in the mummy, like when, we're terrified about his uh, his undead, like uh, the mummy causes in the tomb, his undead soldiers that he controls. And they have these mm-hmm. huge double-edged like spear swords kind of thing. Yeah. And they're doing this like, ah, like charging at him and, and stuff like that in formation. And Rick O'Connell's answer to it is just to scream at them. And right, it doesn't right. work. And it's just like one of those perfect calling back to like Raiders of Lost Ark where it's like the whip man doing all the whips and, and he just pulls him. out a gun and shoots him. But the whole thing is like that. It's bizarrely does take place in a Marvel universe and Marvel didn't invent that universe. But like you're saying, it felt it was such a throwback. And I realized that it was because a bunch of the human reactions were based on a set of movie rules that we no longer accept by and large. Mm-hmm. For example, they both go around a corner in the pyramid and the American rivals point their guns directly at their head, inches from their faces. And Rick O'Connell also points his gun directly at their faces and they look at each other and the uh, Rachel Wise goes like, oh, men and their stupid guns or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they all just like uncock their guns and go like, hey, you scared me, buddy. Hey, you scared me too. <laughs> no modern movie would get, like, you know what I mean? That would be Jake Gyllenhaal chewing the scenery being like, oh, God, ah, oh, fuck, I thought you were going to shoot me. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, see, it's I, so unrealistic to have a gun an inch from your face and go uh, and do like, witty quip oh yeah return quip well i guess i'll uncock my gun that's 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 very, so 90s no it's very not realist but at the other it's still mining like when we talk about especially on this podcast we're going to talk about plant and payoff a lot we're going to talk about how tightly you can structure a joke or a beat and um to me that's still a part it's still appended to earlier on the boat when they kind of do this off the cuff reference with benny and with Rick, where and 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 t- I think Evie's. We got to talk about Benny. They lady. they talk about how like Americans and their guns, like it's a joke to them about how all the Americans think that they are as cowboys. So of course it's not real. It's this kind of Yosemite Sam esque right. kind of version of it. So of course there's it's cartoony. So that's that's my only argument for but it. But to the point where like when the boat is on fire, a bunch of magi who we later find out by the way are good guys essentially. Mm-hmm are like running at them and they're all like, yeehaw, a chance to shoot our guns. <laughs> yeah. And they just stand in a line and murder in cold blood. Well, they're not good shots. It's self-defense, actually. but they do kill many people. 
and the uh what's the name of the brother rachel wise's brother who's just like yeah the comic relief he's basically the eddie murphy dragon from mulan of this movie <laughs> and he's like oh americans and their guns it's like you just saw a dude get shot in the heart it's crazy. Right, right. They, he like swigs some Glenlivet and he's like crazy Americans constantly murdering. <laughs> Can we talk about Benny? Yeah. Benny is maybe my favorite part of the whole movie. The ever the opportunist. Is he Peter Laurie? Do you think he's based on Peter Laurie? And I, of course, most famous from Casablanca. You despise me, Rick. Don't you? And uh, Looney Tunes. Some people yeah. might know him from Looney Tunes. I think he's uh, well, one of the greatest. Say, he's the Steve Buscemi of an era past. That's, I think that's a better not because he's And he's Laurie. phenomenal. Laurie it's, is incredible. It's a great question, but I think it's it's Laurie, but without fangs. Like, here's the thing with Benny is that, like, let's cite the time, the first time he, like, interacts truly in the same room with the mummy, where he just Rolodexes all the different religions waiting for one until he finds out when he speaks Hebrew that the mummy goes, ah, the speech of the slaves, I can utilize you now. Yeah. Um, but before that, he goes through like so many different religions. He goes through like Islam, he goes through Christianity. Like he's, he's speaking all, and this is all of need. This is him going like, at one point I have to learn all these languages. Why? Because I have no there's no borders in life. There's no loyalty. It's only money myself. That's it. Yes. Ultimate opportunist to the point of like, he's like a bug or something. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of Peter Lorre had that feel. I think true. Yeah. But the thing is he's ultimately harmless. Uh, yeah. Right. Peter Lorre will shoot you in the back. He could Benny would run away and let you die. And this is how he probably wouldn't shoot you in the back. But that's, that's how the perfect example of that is, um, like, look at the elation he has when he, like, beats Rick once they get out of the boat. But the reality is as soon as <laughs> that he thinks that he's won, the carpet is pulled from under his feet right. like, with one sentence from Rick saying, you're on the wrong side of the river. Both of our favorite line, I think, from yeah. the movie. Looks like someone that has all the horses. Yeah, but looks like someone's I made a note this time. Can horses not swim across a, a small river? I assume it. I Depth? feel like I'm he, not a horseman. Right. I feel like Rick only actually delayed Benny by five minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, I mean the wrong. I mean maybe. And the Americans do catch up to them. Like yeah. they arrive at the at uh, what Hamanoptera at roughly the same time. Well, they don't have Hamanoptera. They ha- they don't have horses, so they have to go get camels. So Better there's a little anyway. bit more of a you know detour. <gasps> Abe, I wanted to tell you about this. Is neither here nor there, but you mentioned camels. Um, there's an amazing podcast called Memory Palace. Are you aware of it? I've heard of it. I haven't listened to it. Well, it's a, he's a, a good writer, Nick DeMeo. I'm probably getting his first name wrong, but his last name is DeMeo. Uh, the Memory Palace. And he writes like 15-minute, very beautifully written pieces about true history, but they're like heartwarming or melancholy or, inter- you know, like winsome. And he wrote one about this true story of a bunch of camels that were abandoned in the desert after like a military organization tried to use them, decided they wouldn't work and just left them in the desert. Oh. Bottom line. Yeah. He may, he talks about dying camels in a way that makes you tear up. But bottom line, a side note is there became a rumor in that area of like a monster, like a legendary monster, like Bigfoot or something. There was a giant red haired camel with a skeletal rider who would come attack people and a bunch of people reported spotting it. And eventually they did find one of the camels that they had abandoned 
was extra large, had a hair condition that made its hair red, and had a rider on it who had died and just rotted into a skeleton oh, and was wow. still on the saddle. So the people did see that. That, is, that thing was that real. That's terrifying. It just probably wasn't attacking them. It was just wandering around. The red camel curse. <laughs> the red camel of death. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a, I like that aside. Because I did not know that, nor did I think it was possible. Because, like, as you deteriorate, you know, like, because I assume that your, like, feet go in the, the feet spots. See, I'm real good with horses. Stirrups. Uh, the stirrups, and, you like, you're in the saddle. You're not really tied to it. As you decompose... You're getting skinnier and skinnier and grosser and grosser. I feel like you would fall out, but apparently that's not the case. Yeah. Especially Don't question me on it. Ask I'm not going to question you, man. I've never known you I to agree. be a liar. I agree. It seems like he should have fallen out. Or she. They never measured the pelvic width. But <laughs> I think the issue is the sandstorm stripping the flesh from your bones, which gets us right back into the mummy. Oof. Because our main villain, what's his name, Imhotep? Imhotep. 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 With his lover, Anuk Sunamun. A uh, great hieroglyphics line. We never lose a step like Imhotep. But anyway. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, he gets the worst punishment available, right? So mm-hmm. goes the story. Which is to be mummified alive with bugs that eat you alive? I found it unclear. Are you clear on that? Yeah, it's explained a little bit, or at least Stephen Summers has talked about how, like, when you go back to the pages, mm-hmm. the reasoning is that the scarabs that were released into the sarcophagus, uh, the curse has already been, like, pushed on him. So at that moment, the curse is applied and he has eternal life. But the scarabs also, by, like, getting into his body, uh-huh. and I don't know, maybe it's blood magic or something, they also have eternal life. That's why all these scarabs in the, uh, the pyramid okay. are still alive from, you know, cent- wow. millennia. That's great. It and solves it. Yeah. yeah, it solves it. And the, what that means is that, so it's even worse than you think because he's constantly not regenerating, but he's still alive and feeling it while these eternal scarabs basically eat him from the inside. Man, that reminds me of one of my favorite things in Scud the Disposable Assassin, great comic book, is he fights a werewolf in space at one point, and the werewolf's end, like final punishment, is he gets banished naked, like ejected from the airlock, on the surface of the moon. So he's constantly exploding, regenerating, exploding, because he's immortal. It's a time loop of death. Of horrible badassness. Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you a question, Uh because this is the first time that uh that a main character there had been like very side characters even auxiliary characters that would you know be upper supportive in terms of uh like digital effects but for a good half of the movie um there the mummy himself is right a main character he's and like he in top, CG, yeah. and he's cg and it's the first time that ilm actually tra- said you know what let's make it like a main villain like your main character be completely cgi is this predate episode one uh yeah episode okay one so was jar jar yeah 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 i think but yeah yeah that's true that's true oh when the cockroach crawls into his cheek hole and he yeah eats exactly it. all mm. that stuff which is it's just you know there's different versions of him but like for the first act at least he's just a walking talking husk of a skeleton yeah. with a little bit of bone with bones and just a little bit of flesh or whatever. I will note Galaxy Quest came out this year, which is the other movie that I, oh, I think love Galaxy Quest. Did we'll a lot of the work this movie did. Yeah. Um it's pretty tight. But I think they're both ahead of their time. Cuz my point being both of those movies are like cult classics and I think they were just a little early because now 
this type of story with this structure and this tone is the dominant movie making industry on earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my question to you is if you had to hazard a guess, uh, what percentage of its budget went towards CGI production budget? Oh, I'm going to guess high because there's like the opening shot. If did you ever play age of empires? Yeah. Yeah. The opening shot where it's sweeping, like, it's like the beginning of Hugo. They're like, look at our CG. We bring you Egypt. And I'm like, this looks like Age of Empires cuts. The Sphinx dude. has a nose. But it's like, it's, yeah, rotating. And they're like, look, our CG can rotate. Right, it right. looks okay. Um, I'm going to guess 60%. 60%? Yes. That's Did I ruin high. your game? No, you didn't ruin my game. I just wanted to know, you know, <laughs> what you what you thought. Because I actually, I didn't know either, but I took uh, some research on it, and it was about 10% of the budget, which is still That's unusually nothing. high. No, nope. uh, It was about $20 million. Well, actually, it's a little away. higher than 10%. I think it might My be per like diem is 10% 15. of the budget. Uh, but what they did is they spent two, $20 million of the film's budget was set aside for just special effects. That's Steven Summers. Some argue it was about 15 but that's still insanely high given the cost-benefit analysis of a main character being completely cg for half the film uh they argue that and she looks good like rachel weiss is fully cg (laughs) in this it's hard to tell uh the average special effect cost was about one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars per shot now when you think about young filmmakers about uh, you know uh, grab that shot you know and stuff like that uh obviously they filmed it without the cg and then placed it after but when you take the sum total take how many shots there are just do a mean average. That is so much money. And let me say this. Our feature, Kill Me Now, was made for less money than a single shot of yeah, The Mummy. A single <laughs> average shot. We could have made however many shots there are in The Mummy. We could have made that many movies if they well, gave us Well, how the many CG-based movies. Oh, okay. There you go. And I assume it's not counting, like, cuts to... And you know it's it cuts to Imhotep, cuts back to Connell, right. cuts back to same shot. Is that the same I assume shot? they're lumping yeah. that together. And yet, but CG it's just like setups. Isn't the whole reason we went to CG because it's more cost effective? Is that true at that time already? Or I not? don't think so. I mean, I mean, I think it was the like only way to L- do it. Lawrence of Arabia, another you know like Middle East movie with sandstorms and hundreds of dudes on camelback yeah. with swords. More expensive per shot for the time or less expensive, probably? What do you well, think? Well, I mean, they didn't make a CG mummy in David Lean's Exactly. I guess, so do you see well, what I'm saying? If you I like, mean, if you could adjust for inflation, is the practical effect, why are they making the mummy CG if it's more expensive? I or think is it just because they have faith that I think someday faith, CG is going to take I, I mean, over. remember, this is, you know, six years after Jurassic Park, everyone's feeling the vibe of. You know, like, let's not just do this as, like, animatronics plus claymation. You know, that was the argument that they had in Jurassic Park, which still holds up, you know. and they It they, super holds up. They, they wanted to push it forward, uh, I think, in 1999. And that's what, I mean, obviously, if you watch The Mummy 2, it's, it's so bad because they just, they skimped on it. But, like, the oh, yeah. next decade or so. Well, and then The Rock stole the role. Yeah, well, I mean, Matrix, you know. Even that. What do you mean when you say I mean Matrix? Well, I mean 1999's Matrix. What about it? There's a hefty amount of CG, like Neo dodging sure. bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not but as I, much. I do think of Matrix as kind of an anomaly. It definitely doesn't feel anything like a Marvel Universe movie. 
Well, that's true. I'm just that's talking just about. I'm just talking about like how it changed the next decade to come. Yes. It was like people watched it and said that was a lot of money, but they're on the frontier of this new thing that give it a few more years and you get an. Well, avatar. and the Matrix had bullet time. It was straight up. You invented a magic trick. Good job. Wow. But you can tell when like he's bullet like bullet time is just was a really innovative, cool new thing. But when he's like bending, it doesn't even it doesn't look the nearly mummy? as good as the mummy. No, like oh, in oh, bullet oh, time. Oh, when he's bending. I'm saying that this was a No, seminal but I mean the straight up bullet time ring of cameras where you just get the shot that rotates around. That looked awesome that, and it was a yeah. brand new uh it was a cool idea. Right. That was done by cameras, not by CG. CG yes. was like the Neo dodging the bullets and the bolts themselves. That's true. And those are the weakest parts. Like when he's fighting a million Mr. Smiths, Agent Smiths yeah. in Washington. Yeah, the third one. <laughs> Even that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I in think the third, the third one. one in the third one. But not the final fight where they're lining the rainy street. I mean, when he's in like the oh. playground. Oh, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. look phenomenally shitty. They look like Gumbies, like CG Gumbies. Because they had to make 10,000 of them. Yeah, I guess I, I think the success of Matrix 1 really boils down to, again, a practical camera effect, which is the best effect in the Matrix is that camera rig that creates the bullet time where you swoop around them while they're doing a flip kick. Speaking of so practical, awesome. though, is uh, Rachel Weisz slash Evie, Evelyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, her oh, introduction, wow. remember when she... Uh, the dominoes. The dominoes with the library. Which re- and we are gonna zero do, CG. We're gonna do Wally soon. Wally. Um. He also very early on one of his introductory scenes is knocking a bunch of uh like no Eve. It's even closer because yeah. it's Eve and Evie. I don't think that that was a nod. No, that I know. Had in his head. You know, Lasseter is not a huge mummy guy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she knocks over a bunch of like tanker ships. Yeah. Is dominoes. Oh. It's got to mean something. Robot love. <laughs> no, it's uh, that shot where like dominoes of that, yes. all that stuff is um, practical, and they did it in one take because it would one take. Yeah, because they they, they got it, it, and they were just like, we can well, spend a whole that. day resetting, resetting or not. everything, and come back tomorrow. At, you know, yeah. like, and they were just like, no, we got it. She also has one of my favorite lines. I'm proud of what I am. Oh yeah, what's that? I am a librarian. <laughs> yeah, when she's hammered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel Weiss is perfect. Perfect. And, yeah. <laughs> okay, Indy or Rick, who's better Oof, for you? You can't do R- that to you. Well, there's only one great mummy film. But I don't mean mummy. I mean <clears throat> American dude um, brutalizing Middle Eastern <laughs> religious spaces and tombs for our entertainment. Who, who are you going to send know, into the field? Rick O'Connell or Mommy it, or uh, uh, Harrison Ford? I want to unpack it a little bit just because I, I see the value of both. I'm going to go with Harrison Ford and in Indy just because it's a more developed character. But I absolutely, like, when you compare these two guys, uh, Indiana Jones still has this, like, got to take it to a museum. He's still this righteous guy. Yep, the swashbuckler go go, award goes to Rick O'Connell. Rick is more he's of just a there pirate. For, he's more he's, of a punk. Yeah, yeah. He's he's he almost dies by getting hanged. Like he steals a kiss from Rachel Weisz. Like he's not a great guy. He turns into a good guy in a like a very like he's got the ability to be a good person. But Indiana Jones doesn't really have that growth. My point is he's yeah he steals a kiss from Rachel Weisz and uh, I think rightly so she's like upset. Yeah, and. I feel like, and then she confronts him about it. And I think Indy would have said something flattering. Like, you know, you were so beautiful. I just, he says, I don't know. I was going to get hanged. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Do you know That's that? That's a much better line yeah. <laughs> than anything Indy would have said. Did you know that Brendan Fraser uh, died 
on what when he got when it, well, I don't know if he le- like clinically died. Also, it's but, Fraser, and he gets really pissed off at people. Uh, Fraser, <laughs> Fraser, <laughs> uh, yes, Brandon Fridger. Fridger, uh, the man. He uh, the the story goes that uh, Rachel Weiss tells it that he when he was getting hanged, right? Uh, he stopped breathing for a little bit and had to be resuscitated. Oh, jeez. And if you're a fan of like our extended family, you know that happened to Katie Willard as well. Did you not know that? No. no, people should bug her for that story online. She's happy to tell it. There was a play at UCSD where she starts the the very top of the play as lights come up on a corpse on stage on a chair that's hung itself. And it was Willard. And there was a hang, hanging thing around her neck and a rig down her back right. that attached to the chair. But the rig was not properly secured. And Jeez. she didn't know that, so I she was sitting up straight, and the noose tightened enough that she like slowly lo- passed out because you know it just cut off her blood, oh. and a whole scene went by, and she passed out so slowly no one noticed, and then her body slumped and the rig failed, so like she woke up because the play was stopped because people noticed that she was hanging to death, but yeah, did not know that. Just like the mummy. <laughs> wow. That was her audition for the mummy. That was her audition for Rachel Weisz. <laughs> Uh, that's terrifying. Anytime, like they say, nothing dies for film, and like you hear that bullshit, you, just get, you have to point at the producers and go, "Oh, what the fuck are you thinking?" Or at least, I guess, but like Spider-Man three, two stuntmen died. Yeah, Luck, all those horses happen. died. Yeah. Um, apparently, for that Dog's Purpose movie, they uh blew up all those dogs. <laughs> Wasn't there something they were mistreating the dogs? True. They got in trouble. They blew up dogs. Well, Milo and Otis. They blew those all those dogs. Seminal, it like it was a Weinstein animal. production. Oh, because oh. <laughs> you know what is in the news about him blowing up dogs. Blowing dogs. <laughs> blowing dogs. You don't think that's true? Uh, you don't think, but isn't it disturbing that you can't rule it out? <laughs> <laughs> Without Googling it, you don't know if I'm telling you something real that happened or not. <laughs> Do you see the recent uh, episode of The Orville? Ah, uh, no. I'm not I haven't been watching it. I'm not a fan. Oh, you're not a fan. Of the Orville in particular. I've been a fan of I'm other McFarlane. I'm not a McFarlane big fan things. of it, but I just think it's very interesting that they also have this other show called Discovery, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, which the is the like, Wilbur. I was waiting for it. It was Wilbur. like born out of the new Star Wars uh-huh. like this is action and shoot, 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 shoot. Uh, the Orville is kind of a nice break for pace just because it's the only thing that I've seen in the last, geez, since TNG that does self like philosophically confined things. And I thought three words, sir, Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty does it. It does it. And it's surrounded by a bunch of loud jokes that distract, but every episode has one Star Trek, the next generation premise within it. You're not wrong, but the reason I thought of it is they just did an episode about like a Reddit-based uh, society, or not Reddit, but just the social media-based society, where mm-hmm. everyone gets thumbs up, thumbs down, and everything's court of public opinion. Like their legal system is based off Black Mirror team. season three, episode one. Exactly, it's very well, <laughs> not quite, but yeah. Um, here's something I thought. Do you know the name of the guy who's her boss at the library, who eventually becomes one of the Magi, or always was? No, damn, and I'm kicking myself for it. I just think it's un- pretty funny that because he is an Egyptologist, <laughs> uh-huh. every line he ever says is through the guise of a metaphor about Egypt. Yeah, It would be like if you were a sailor and you were like, sail that glass over to me, my 
gut is as dry as a mast. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's like Rachel Weiss knocks over the albatross. <laughs> well, Rachel Weiss knocks over all the books, and he goes, "By the sons of the Pharaoh." Even the plagues of Amun-Ra were not as bad as how you spilled these books. And I'm like, <laughs> we get it. You're an Egyptologist. See, I Jesus love Christ. I love that. <laughs> There's something about let's allow some characters to be one dimensional. But it's all of them. That's what's funny to me is I love the movie and I kind of don't understand why I love it. Because I feel like on a surface level, almost every line, almost, not all of them. All the plot elements are cool, but almost every line is like, ooh, boy. Like, there's a part where the brother goes, look, as we all know, and I shouldn't even have to repeat, <laughs> here's your situation, and they think there's a curse, but you're going to do this. Well, like, the exposition's super forced and bulky, and I love it anyway. What's going on? Uh, Roger Ebert <laughs> agrees with you. I want to read this quote because I pulled it out. It's one of my favorite reviews that he's ever done, and it's on The Mummy. Uh, <laughs> Roger Ebert, quote, There's within me an unslacked hunger for preposterous adventure movies. I resist the bad ones, but when a Congo or an Anaconda come along, my heart leaps up and I cave in. The Mummy is a movie like that. There's hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheering by every minute of it. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting, or even the mummy. But I can say that I was not bored, and sometimes I was reasonably pleased. There's an <laughs> immaturity stuck away in the crannies of even the most judicious of us, and we should treasure it. Three out of four stars. But you lost me at Anaconda and Congo. Oh, Anaconda fun. Ah, I didn't find either of those I think fun. I found the, them mature. The, I, I think that the, it's what he's speaking to, and not all of them work on everybody. You know, there's well, clearly, what did he say about monkey bone? Because I love monkey bone. I don't have monkey bone. <laughs> you don't have the review of monkey bone. Oh, no, I just have off the top of your hand. <laughs> no. uh, if you don't know. Yeah. So I did Google what happened to Brendan Fraser and I'm here to report. Um, it's kind of what it's the same thing that happened to Dave Foley, unfortunately. Uh, and it really sucks, man. I hate this rule. And it might have something to do with the fact that they're both Canadian. I, I don't know if Brendan Fraser's Canadian. I didn't confirm this. But I know Dave Foley ran into trouble because he happened to have a messy divorce at the time, at like the peak of the kids in the hall. Uh, and they based his alimony check on like his income from the past three years. And he never again, like he was not a poor man. He was on shows. <laughs> but he was never again doing like news radio and kids in the hall. Right. And so... He could never afford to pay his alimony to the point where he can't. I don't believe he can return to Canada or he'll face major legal repercussions. And it's through no desire not to pay his child support. He just literally it's a figure that he cannot reach. And uh, Brendan Fraser apparently has the same thing going on. Uh, and it's like it was a double whammy because he made a couple poor film choices. But I'm just saying there are other actors who have made way worse film choices more frequently and not like faded away. And it's just sad to me that he faded away because of like personal and legal repercussions. But yeah, he did Monkey Bone uh, based on the art of Mark Ryden. Amazing movie, I think, featuring Giancarlo Esposito, Gus Fring. Uh, that's super CG and practical effect heavy, yeah. and it bombed like a motherfucker. But I mean, I assume that's why I did all like the the Mountie film and like the yes, Mummy Three the, bombed super super hard as well. well. Well, I mean, just the idea that he he did all these like cash grabs, you know, uh, arguably Journey to the you know center of the earth stuff like that. But 
see, is it a cash grab or is it him thinking that this is his niche? He's like a Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones type guy. I, I'm and arguing, maybe he's just no. not picking quite as good scripts. I'm arguing that he's he had to do that because he had to keep paying. I see. And then he had a couple like really bad breaks. Like they took him off of Mummy. I just think it's funny that The Rock has taken two torches, Hulk Hogan's torch and Brendan Fraser's torch. And I miss Brendan more. Hulk can go away. (laughs) Hulk? Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he can go away. WrestleMania 18. He officially passed the torch to uh, The Rock. And then also uh, the, uh, oh, and then Journey to the Center of the Earth. I'll take it from here, brother. Wait, who replaced him on Journey? Was that also The Rock? Uh, I don't know. I think it is. Yeah, it is The Rock. The Rock bumped Brendan Fraser out of two franchises. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, Dwayne Johnson, but you should be ashamed of yourself, sir. You can't hate Dwayne. But you can't use the people's eyebrow to knock Brendan Fraser out of the running. He's a good guy. Kimmy. I miss Brandon. Yeah, I miss Brandon. More than I miss Frazier. Have you seen that interview with him? You can, uh, there's a TV show that he's on. I can't remember it. But about a year or so ago, as in, like, he is a beaten man. It's pretty tough to watch. No, I know. I've. That's why I bring it up. I don't know why I want to make this a bummer podcast, but I bring it up because I watched a bunch of interviews and it is like, like if you watch modern Dave Foley interviews, he's so soft spoken. Dave Fo- uh, similar. He's like like Dave Foley will be super soft spoken, super nice, talk about whatever you want, but he's honest. So when they go like, so what's new? He'll go like, huh. Well, you know, I owe like eight hundred thousand dollars and uh, um, just trying to survive. And you're like, fuck, man. You're like one of the kids in the hall. This shouldn't be happening to you. <laughs> yeah. Brandon's no, in a similar uh, boat. It's kind of tragic how that happens, but at the same time, he gave us. The mummy. The mummy. Yes. And he will be forever remembered as a cult. And even greater, monkey bone. And monkey bone. Oh, I thought you'd disagree, but Uh, okay. (laughs) It's been a while since I've seen monkey bone. I don't know if we'll ever get to covering monkey bone, but I would have a lot to say about it. Did you notice that Rick, which I love is great foreshadowing, immediately guesses what is actually going on just by chance in a joke? The first time he sees the box that becomes the key that unlocks the mummy, she's like, they say there's a curse. And he's like, oh, yeah, I bet he got frisky with the Pharaoh's daughter. And that's exactly what happened. That is why he's cursed. Because that's like one of the main. It's like stab the king, fuck his daughter. Like those are like the worst things to do to a Pharaoh. Right. Stab the king's daughter and fuck the king would be either way. Either (laughs) way. Mix and match. Point is, there's like two no no's and you get like the worst curse. It's also just such a crazy risk to me that there's someone you hate. So you're going to make them immortal. Like, do you can you conceptualize eternity? Because if you can, it is 100 percent likely that they'll escape their imprisonment, whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's eternity. Like you're giving them, I don't know. I don't get it. It's like one of my favorite points from an after hours, which I never thought of. And is a great point is Wolverine is fucked. Cause <laughs> if you really were like immortal, but not super strength to an absurd degree, Wolverine will inevitably one day through sheer number of things that happen to him, get like trapped at the bottom of a mine. And then he'll just be there for eternity. Wait, I don't, I didn't think that we'll, I don't know. I don't know. Him well, either. okay, maybe because he's like grain in like the new movies. Like that's true, I think but there are versions. Slow. There's versions of Wolverine in the comic where he will take him thousands of years to age fully, right. and he can but blah blah he, blah. He can die. Right? The point is an immortal. Okay, Merlin. Then 
Benjamin Button. <laughs> Big baby. Trap them all in a mine. Big baby. Big baby. Uh, yeah, so Amun-Ra, Anuksana Moon. I Amun recognize Ra. her. There's what? no Amun-Ra. It's There's no tab. No, but the book of Amun-Ra is what oh, brings it back of, to yeah, life. The book of the dead. Who who plays the Pharaoh's daughter, Anuksana Moon? Like, I have her name Marta. on IMDb. That's why I recognize her. It's Marta from Arrested Development. Yes. That's amazing. And it's basically, she's just wearing like gold paint and like chains. But the chains turn out to also be paint. That's the payoff of that sequence is the Pharaoh knows that someone was getting frisky with his daughter because her like bikini is smudged because it was just a spray on bikini, which I also love. The Pharaoh is like, I am such a protective father. Anyone who gets near my beautiful daughter will be killed. But uh, let's have her naked, covered in bikini paint. I think that's going to well, keep as people you, As I'm sure you picked up on, the uh, chains are a metaphor for her chained existence. Yeah, I get it. So. Right, because she's stuck with Job, <laughs> even though she's made a great mistake. Yeah, she, she's made a Maybe. great mistake. Made a huge mistake. No, it's and then she kills herself. So Man. It's like a Romeo-Juliet kind of well, thing. Well, now I want a mashup where she stabs herself and says, I've made a huge mistake, <laughs> and it plays Hello Darkness, my you old friend. You could probably just get the audio and just oh, over of course that shot could. of her stabbing herself because that's in shadow. Yeah. Kind of like Nosferatu. By the way, I can go on very long tirade about how it like pulls from the best of us. And I think uh, uh, I would argue Lord of the Rings opening sequence is like fairly identical to the Mummy's opening sequence. And I have to wonder if... You mean Fellowship? I mean Fellowship, yeah. Isn't it just narration? It's narration over a montage That's in the true. same way that this is the story of the Pharaoh's yeah. daughter. But like a lot of the shots are very theatrical. And at the time I was like, that's really cool and inventive way to get the exposition out of the way fast. And now I wonder if he... Th- at least in a small way was thinking of the mummy at all. Cause it, I don't know. It reminded me so much of it. Like when Sauron's standing on the rock holding yeah. the ring and it's just narrating while it pans across. Gladriel's talking. Exactly. Over. The other thing is like, if you look at all like the traveling and the, you mentioned the beginning, the intro shots, Everything is, as we already mentioned, everything comes from Lawrence Arabia. And granted, Lawrence Arabia was such a seminal work in terms of like how you shoot the desert. I've it's never a, seen it. I bet we cover it. <laughs> it's a, it's akin to like how when 2001 Space Odyssey came out, uh, Kubrick just altered the way that we shoot space. You know, in, in the same way that like a year or two after the first Star Trek motion picture film came and right. it's so weird now if you rewatch that movie because they take like four minutes at the beginning of just the docking sequence of this uh, of the enterprise and it's because and it plays like a bombastic vandalist kind of like yeah. song and it's uh it's because kubrick would just like altered everyone's perception of it so uh, already maybe david lean and his what he did with lawrence arabia is just gonna like kind of osmosis into the way that he shoots the like wide dunes shot oh yeah but, the wide dune shots look like lawrence of arabia but if you sure. also look at the close-up and like the action it's shot like indiana jones yep and it's like so camera work it's like a um, like a mix of the two but also i'd like to mention that if you look at the score uh, I love the score. It's of the either movie. Lawrence of Arabia or it's Indiana Jones. Oh, like, like it alternates sound alike. Yeah, basically. Yeah, cool. and it's really cool. So, like, depending on what they need, uh, Summers just is like, all right, make this, you know, John Williams. You know, they also do a fade of the main Magi guy, where for a long time his giant head is floating in the sky above them traveling in carts very quickly from left to right across the desert. Totally Bram Stoker's Dracula train shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch of good stuff in there. Yeah. 
And I thought the mummy logic of the curses, like it's interesting that you were able to explain why, what the nature of the curse is and how the scarabs are still alive. It's very tight. All the mummy logic makes way more sense than, for example, the 2017 mummy, where there's a bunch of stuff where you're just like, I guess it's just magic. The curse is very clear cut. But uh, can I read you some lines out of context? Because I, yeah. I think the payoff for being so clear and fun is like, it's a little hacky. I don't know if you can argue that it's not. These are lines from the mummy. Do you want me to react to them or just listen? <laughs> just a few. We're scholars, not treasure hunters. I know the locals blather on about some curse of the mummy protecting the place, but I think it's nonsense. <laughs> um, I already said the brother literally says, oh, come on, you both already know, and then explains a bunch of shit. Yeah, I wanna- <laughs> Many have tried to find Hamanaftra. None have returned. And then the guy, the best one is the guy covered in locusts, and it's like the first plague is coming in. He gives us a big juicy, my God, what have we done? <laughs> Literally word for word, my God, what have we done? Come been, on, that must have been uncomfortable. They said they only got one take of that because, like, he kept like. Were they real no, crickets? No, I don't want to do this. Yeah, that was practical. The well, crickets. Uh, That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, the locust. Yeah, uh, the locusts. Yeah. I forget the actor's name, but he was also in Jumanji. Oh, and that same actor, by the way, while wearing a red fez and holding a parasol, says, "She's just a woman. What would a woman know?" <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. It's supposed to be, you know, late twenty, late twenties or D plus. <laughs> no, I just think it's an amazing, amazing feat of crappy dialogue com- coming together to make a great movie. Which is what I say about good Marvel movies too. I don't leave a good Marvel movie going like, and the script really made me like reevaluate my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. dumb, but it's fun as hell. See, I think we're not that I want to take away from it we're definitely pointing at the sores and like the the things that we still love it but it's it's got its problems there are some things though i want to argue that the mummy does that are just like you put it up against great films and you're just like yeah that's really smart direction so in a way i'm gonna disagree with ebert a little bit not that he's wrong in that on balance the whole film is just kind of a pop it's cheesy, dude. It's 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 pulp. It's a pulp movie. I get that. Well, but and yet all the other dated movies from that era that are cheesy are yeah. also profoundly boring to me now when I yeah. watch them. The Mummy is exciting the whole time. In the same way that Indiana Jones and it's hard Stays to be serial, right? But it's but still like good. there, I want there's one sequence that I think I always pull out. You know, when I'm especially, it's one of my favorite sequences. He refers I, to his penis as the sequence. <laughs> the sequence. <laughs> I always pull it. I out. actually have that just tattooed <laughs> on the top of it. Uh, <laughs> well, the uh, there's a sequence of shots that are just fantastic to me, um, and the one that I'm the ones that I'm talking about is uh, when the American who has the glasses. Yep. His I don't think we get their names, the three American douchebags. We might, right? but and they may have names, but I don't really their care. Their names like they Patrick, all, all Lance. Die, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lance and Patrick. <laughs> they're all Patrick's, they're all Lance's. Uh, he his uh, he like whips over because he hears something and it's clearer than the mummy. Uh, and the mummy hasn't eaten anyone yet. Um, yet. And this is the guy later in the film that he's like, Thank you for the, your eyes. He's gonna need your tongue and all your other stuff. Uh, when Benny Jeepers Creepers style, yeah, yeah but taking the this organs. Is before his, his that's also a great mo for a monster. Sorry, just that you're literally reclaim. I mean, X Files did that episode, but I love a monster yeah. that is reclaiming your organs to stuff them inside itself to yeah. come back to life. Yeah. It's great. It's magic. Yeah, it's it's curse magic. 
And uh, so his his he whips around and he's got his gun, but he's uh, his his glasses drop to the ground and he steps on him. But this is just a Twilight Zone, dude. I know the scene. Now. Yeah, but I'm talking about the sequence. All right, all right. It's it's really important. To me. <laughs> so uh, so this is before he takes his eyes. His glasses drops him, and they break. We get a POV shot out of focus, looking down like where he was or where the sound came from. And we kind of see it's like super out of focus and we kind of see walks into frame. It's very dimly lit. It's clear that the mummy is just kind of slowly walking toward him, but he can't see, right? Because this is a POV shot of what a blurry frame someone without glasses, right? It's not fair. So it's like a POV shot and we go, okay, so, you know, here's Summers getting us in his head kind of thing. That's cute. But then he does this. The camera pivots and we realize it's not a POV shot at all. But rather, the actor walks past the camera slightly into focus, and he can't see. He's like, you know, touching his eyes and looking around. So at that point, at that point, it's not just a compound shot, but it's a POV to non-POV compound shot, which is like one of the only times I've ever actually really seen that. Uh, the only other time I can think of it, and it's not an exact parallel, but is uh, in Contact in 1995 the Sagan one where the girl's running to get her dad's meds and then she grabs and pulls out, uh, she grabs to the, the, uh, medicine cabinet. But then you realize that as she's been running, the reflection of the medicine, medicine cabinet is, is the shot her POV with, right. and it's looking in mirrors. So it's that kind of like, <laughs> go back and rewatch that contact uh, shot. It's actually hard to explain. You should look up the YouTube video of how they did the shot. Did it, yeah. It's, it's funny. You almost wonder why they did it. Cause when you're watching it, it's it just feels it like a few seconds of a brief little, uh, Oh, I'm confused about where I am. Oh, I get it. I'm looking at her mirror. Like as a viewer, it just washes over you. And then when you see how much effort they put into it and how technical a shot it was, you're almost like, Why'd you bother? But it's amazing. <laughs> they literally just put a medicine cabinet on top of a uh, steady cam and then looked yeah. into the mirror and got the shot. And like which followed is the actor. Such a hard it's, thing to it's do. It's hard to visualize over podcast. When it's slow motion and uh, a girl's running upstairs. Exactly. But back to the mummy. I just find that that's Always. just such <laughs> a nice little thing. It's a nice way of foreshadowing that first he'll lose his sight. The second that he's ill-equipped to fight the mummy, because he doesn't know where the mummy is now, the mummy has the advantage. And third, that in a single compound shot gives us the disorientation of like that character and then moves to move the plot forward. It's just a simple gesture, a simple compound shot that gives us like three things that tells us, that foreshadows, it pays off, it tells us what what... The, the fact that the mummy is now in control of the environment, which, as we all know, in horror movies like Alien or anything like that, the one of the most important part about a horror movie is that the environment itself is claimed right. by the villain. That at any time it can pop out of anywhere and you have no control. You haven't seen Mummy 5, Mummy Takes Manhattan? No. He's not as scary when he's, he's not, not in Egypt. <laughs> he's like, what is this? Cars? One of the problems oh, with boy. the 2017 mummy, actually, is, yeah, you're like, don't people have guns and cars and missiles in this part of the world? <laughs> Nothing against her spider magic? I don't even know how I that guess. film really worked. <laughs> uh, it was basically just a soft introduction to Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll like and Mr. Mr. Hyde. Yeah. <laughs> it's no bueno. No. Um, it's the true curse of the mummy. And I think we are cursed to never get another good mummy movie until Brandon Fraser is brought back into the fold uh, and elevated to the social status within which he belongs. Don't you? I <laughs> really do wish. All right. That. 
I'm wrapping this up. So are there? Do you have any like pressing notes? They were like no, this fascinated me, I and I wasn't do. able to. Do if there's it. any like sections or acts or. Well, there's hella more to talk about with the mummy, but yeah, I think I think we should cap these at around an hour. I mean, hey, if people want us to talk for five hours, I'm sure they'll let us know on social media, and then we'll start doing that. Yeah. But for now, <laughs> I don't want to risk boring people. But yeah, I like. I really appreciate that shot breakdown. I feel like that shot must have been done in things that climax in a hall of mirrors. Is that isn't that how you would show that? You know where you're like, kinda, I'm yeah. not over here, detective. I'm over here. Yeah, it, it kind of is, but it's like without even using mirrors. Yeah, it's not like about reflections. It's about lack of uh, lack of vision. Uh, yeah. A narrator that's uh, what's the word? Un unreliable. Unreliable. Well, narration. yeah, and instantly conflating the idea that you're seeing an out of focus shot, which you see all the time, with. Or am I seeing through his head and his eyes are out of focus? Yeah. For a second, you don't know which it is. and Because cool. immediately, it, like, oh, person who has glasses doesn't have glasses anymore. And then cut to a blurry shot. You know exactly what that is. Yeah. But there's Stephen Summers going, aha. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny with Summers, though, because he wrote and directed this film. And there's another film that he wrote and directed called Van Helsing. And I, I have this love-hate. It's awful. It, it's, uh, what's his name? Yeah. Wolverine, uh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is and they came out like pretty close together. So Mummy is my unapologetic. It's not even a guilty pleasure because I feel no you think guilt it's about good. it. Yeah. I just think it's a fun <laughs> film. Van Helsing to this day is the only film that I've ever actually walked out on in theater. Ooh. I have two. How to Train Your Dragon. Really? And The Spirit. I think that's Oh, I did walk out of The Spirit with you. With we me. went yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We left the end. Yeah. Um I, I got egg on my face. We got to do what we'll do. We should do the spirit. We should yes. do some terrible movies. And I would like to do how to train your dragon because I've never met anyone who agrees with me that it's like a steaming, insulting pile of shit. Well, more on that later. More on that later. DreamWorks, get, hold on to your butt. Yeah. When Michael we, Swam is coming. <laughs> uh, this has been the Small Beans Frame Rate. When we have social media information, I'll edit it into this episode. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Man. Until then, thanks for listening. Please reach out. Uh, rate and review the show. Let us know what movies to watch. Let us know if you agree, disagree. Watch the mummy. Watch the correct mummy. Yeah. <laughs> I swear mummy. you'll enjoy it. It's like a whole millennia. Remember, it was 1999, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like a whole millennia stopped. Exactly. And said, wait, I'm not done. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.